The key thing is to call and make sure that the instructions that you have are correct. And don't just call a phone number that was in that email. Don't call a phone number that was just on that sheet because you're just calling the scammers to confirm their wire information. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures. And law goes well beyond paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Episode number, I I have no idea, Rory, what episode number is this? Do we know? We're not Do really we have to track them? <laughs> At some point, we'll track them. But actually, I think we're, we're recording a few different episodes, and I don't know the order in which we're going to re- release these. So... You know, let's just call it episode 487, which it's not. So my name is Jason Muth, and uh, this is Rory Gill. He's an attorney broker here in Boston, works for Next Home Title Town Real Estate and Urban Village Legal. Welcome, Rory. How are you? I'm great. Great. We're recording this on a Monday. So, uh, you know, I hope you don't have uh, the case of the Mondays or the Sunday scaries or any of those fun hashtags we see online. No, we're late enough in the day on Monday that we're past that, so we're we're good to move on. Right. right. I'm on coffee number two, so I'm kind of fired up. I got plenty to cheers. say. What is that number? Number. Cheers to you. Yeah. Like the podcast, I'm not keeping count. Exactly. See, we're on video right now, so you know the first round of the podcast that we did, it was all audio. No one could see us drinking coffee, uh, but you know it's a video age these days. Everyone is on Zoom. Everyone is staring at screens. Uh, so we figured. Why not? We'll, we'll put ourselves on video too. So you just sent the topic over to me uh, moments ago, and I was like, well, it's a great topic for a podcast. We're talking about real estate scams today and some things to watch. And I'm sure that you've seen a lot of real estate scams in your day, uh, both as a real estate broker and on the attorney side. You know, as we kind of get into a couple of the different scams that are out there, like just, you know, without digging too deep into them, where are we headed today uh, with this discussion? What are some of the big kind of categories? And then we'll dissect all those. Well, re- real estate's an area where we have lots of money going back and forth, and there are big ass, um, assets that people only do a handful of times in their life. So there are opportunities there for people to swoop in, um, scam people who don't know what they're doing, and take a great deal of money mm-hmm. away from them. So, you know, in every year they get a little bit more sophisticated, and there are just a few things that I want everybody out there to, to watch for. Yeah, there's definitely been some things that you've kind of drilled into my head, one of which is, you know, even when I'm at a bank about to wire money for whatever, a refinance or a purchase or something, you know, just verifying exactly where you're sending it, you know, is a really simple thing, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit, but. um, That's probably where we'll end up starting just because that's the, that's the biggest opportunity for, for scammers to take your money away. So tell us what, what is the scam in place? Like you're about to buy real estate, you're taking your life savings or a huge chunk of money or the bank's money, right? And then and then you're going to wire it to another account. This is your money. So, you know, real estate attorneys need to have the money on hand as you're going to close. Otherwise, they can't close. And wire transactions are a great means of doing that. In fact, I require for almost all transactions that the money be wired. But if you think about it, a lot of people don't send very many wires on their day-to-day. This isn't going to the the ATM and taking money out. This is something that a lot of people aren't sure of. And once you send a wire, the money is gone. 
there's some things the FBI can do to try to track it down, but once the money's sent, the money's sent. So because of the unfamiliarity with this, there's a big opportunity for scammers to come in and trick you into sending um, the money to the wrong place. So what is some advice that you have you know, when you're working with people and they're about to wire a large sum of money? The key thing is to call and make sure that the instructions that you have are correct. And don't just call a phone number that was in that email. Don't call a phone number that was just on that sheet because you're just calling the scammers to confirm their wire information. Talk to the attorney office that, um, that, you've, that you've been working with all along. Go back at the very least to a really early email when you first worked with them. But the best thing to do is to go online, look at their phone number on their website, look at the phone number um, in Google listing, something that's in the, the broader directory so you're not just trusting all the information that you have in one email. Okay. So on the list of like bad things, if you could, not, you have to rank them, but just tell me one to 10 how bad this is. Like I'm going to buy real estate and I'm going to Venmo you money. How bad is that? You can't, you, well, you can't use Venmo to send um, money for real estate transaction. If you do that, so, you know, wires have a place and a purpose because their money disappears from your account instantly, it arrives at the closing account very quickly. So that's mm -hmm. a, so there's a real use for it. Sending money on Zelle or Venmo or Cash App to a closing attorney isn't going to work. And if you try that, you're not going to close on that day. Um, you can't bring a personal check to closing instead. There, you need that money needs to really be in the closing attorney's account that day. Um, otherwise, they can't do their job. Can you put a deposit down on a property using Venmo? Um, sometimes, actually, yes. I don't see a reason for that. Um, it's just that in the moment of the real estate transaction, there right. are no take backsies, as I say. You can't go back and undo the transaction once um, everything's done. So if a check bounces or an ACH is returned, um, the attorney's actually done something illegal and went ahead and processed a closing that they didn't have good funds for. Um, so they have to make sure that that's the case. If you, a deposit's put down more generally more than two weeks before closing, um, other forms of payment are okay because the risk of that payment be bouncing or turning around are significantly less um, than... If then, if you tried to do, you know, tried to cut a personal check for $200,000 in the morning of a closing. So have you had people bring personal checks to closings? Yeah. So before wires kind of became the only way we bank checks were pretty common for that purpose too. But um, yeah, there have been moments where people didn't understand what a bank check was and they thought a bank check was just a check. So we've that mistake has happened. I've seen that before. And that requires a panic trip to the, the bank to, to fix it. But yeah, I've, I've definitely seen people try to pay another method methods at the closing table, but attorneys just can't accept that. Right. Now, bank checks, you mentioned, you know, I've gotten those before. Those show proof of funds, right? In your account, like with a bank check, but so we don't take bank. We don't typically don't allow bank checks um, for the risk that somebody may have tried to do a scan, a scan deposit first, and then um, tried to deposit a second time with us. That I've heard of that happening elsewhere in the country, and it's only a theoretical problem. We've never had it attempted here, but that's a reason why we discourage bank checks, um, except when it's a very small amount of part of the transaction. But if mm -hmm. you're bringing 20% down for the, your home purchase, and it's, um, it's, it's going to have to be by wire. Right. When are we going to start taking Bitcoin for 
transactions. Once you convert it into dollars and wire it from your traditional bank account, that's it. There's um, because what's what's going behind this? There is a law that says that attorneys have to have good funds. Good funds mm-hmm. means U.S. dollars actually sitting in your bank account in a where the the funds cannot be taken back. Right. Um, and if attorney goes ahead and processes a closing, meaning puts it on record and pays off the seller, pays off the seller's loan and makes disbursements, they've done something unlawful by allowing the transaction to proceed without the good funds. And an attorney can face uh, consequences up to disbarment if they bounce something out of that trust account. Um, and it, it's, it's pretty serious and it can end somebody's career. So, you know, on, on your list of scams also that we're going to talk about today, you mentioned cash buyer direct sales, which I think is similar but different to what we're talking about right now. But let's just pull this apart a little bit. A cash buyer, which we hear a lot of these days, like there's a lot of competition out there and sometimes you're competing against a cash buyer. They're not really bringing, you know, bags of cash to a closing, are they? No, we've never seen that. And however, bag, you probably could legally show up to a closing with a bag of cash. Um, and if you hand it over to the attorney, because now they actually have good funds in possession. Um, mm-hmm. If somebody showed up to a closing that I was doing with that, I'd be very, very unhappy. And I would tell them to go to the bank. Um, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not a casino. You also don't know if the money is counterfeit or not, right? I mean, you, you know, don't, you're, you don't have that fancy marker they have at the grocery store to check the hundred dollar bills. No, and you wouldn't want to do it on every single one of them. Um, I will let some. I will let the bank take on that liability. Right. Okay. So cash, but if you are a cash buyer, though, in theory, you're still wiring funds, right, from your account with cash in it to a buyer's account. That's absolutely right. So in you know in a, a transaction, a lender transaction, you'll have the closing attorney will receive a wire, one from the lender and one from the buyer, um, to complete mm-hmm. the amount of money that you need to close. The only difference in a, a Cash transactions, you have one wire and that's from the buyer. Okay. So what is a direct sale? Like, is there another scam involved that um, we're not, that we didn't touch on right there? Sure. So there's a, a scam that luckily is less prevalent here in Massachusetts because we are an attorney closing state. That means that only attorneys are allowed to process and um, to, to manage closings. But if there are circumstances where a a seller may offer to do a direct transaction with a buyer and they convince that buyer to go around all of those safeguards to not use an attorney, to not use a title company, to not get title insurance and just basically trade a deed for cash. And that will get recorded. That will affect a legal transfer of ownership, but there you're by going around all the safeguards, nobody's looked at title. Nobody's, confirmed that the seller actually is the owner of the property. Nobody's confirmed what liens are on the property. And once you've given the money and taken title, you're you're now likely liable for the mortgages that are unpaid on the property, any taxes that have, haven't been paid for the property, all the normal things that would have been uh, uncovered by an attorney handling the closing and insured against uh, if you obtain title insurance. Yep. So if you're if you're a cash buyer and the seller's pressuring you to deal with them directly um, and go around the normal process, um, even if it's they're just saying it's just faster, it's easier, you are incurring a ton of risk. Right. Right. Like the ex-wife shows up, you know, years later also, and she, you know, says, "Hey, listen, this is my property. What are you doing here?" You know, the ex-wife, the other siblings that you know that also inherited um, an ownership stake in the property. Mm-hmm. That's actually it, when there are 
family disputes and title issues, that's the biggest issue. Um, Mm -hmm. When somebody leaves property to their children, you now need to coordinate among all those children to get the property sold. And if you don't get somebody on board, that's a fatal title defect if you don't get all all adult children on board. So we're talking to attorney broker Rory Gill at... Urban Village Legal, next home title town real estate here in Boston. We're talking about all these scams that are happening in real estate, which, you know, apparently there's a lot of them. Talk about loan modifications. Do you mean with a, a current mortgage that you have with a bank or, or, or what's well, that? So loan modification scams are sad because they're preying against people who are the most vulnerable in the real estate world, people who are facing foreclosure, facing hard times. And that sense of desperation leads them wildly vulnerable to to scams out there, outside third parties that promise to be able to solve the problems for them. Um, And this is a whole category of different scams. There are ways that people, scam artists can be clever, but they reach out and they extend a helping hand to somebody who is facing foreclosure, facing the loss of their home and promise to help them out through a variety of methods to buy the property for them. And then to, you know, turn around and sell it back to them. You know, they will promise that if you go through our program, we can negotiate with the bank for you and um, provide um, a guaranteed loan modification. And they're just out there taking money away from those who need it the most. Yeah. You just don't kind of hear about these things when you're going to open houses uh, or checking out properties online. You know, you're looking at square footage, you're looking at parking situations, you're looking at how new is the roof, like, you know, but people aren't really, and if you're a seller, you know, I'd imagine that scams could be coming out of the woodwork as well. Uh, You know, you want to sell your property, you want your money, um, but along with all these, you know, potential buyers are going to come some of these bad eggs that, you know, cause attorneys to remain employed in places like Massachusetts to make sure this stuff doesn't happen, right? You know, absolutely. But there's a hot market and, and it's not just here, it's everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And it's pretty easy to target people on social media with advertising that that promises to solve them, uh, solve these problems for them. But yeah. what I'd watch out for with any of these offers that, that are red flags, they all need to be vetted. They all need to be to be analyzed, but a loan modification scheme, um, a couple key traits, they'll ask for money up front. Um, legitimate um, agencies that, that will offer you help are not going to ask for money up front, certainly not a significant amount of money up front. So if, if you're in talks with a third party and they promise to help you um, stave off foreclosure, use that as a red flag. The other thing to watch out for is when they guarantee that their service will uh, stop the foreclosure. Nobody can guarantee that. Uh, when it, you're negotiating with the lender, there's a lender that has to sign off and approve on this. There, mm-hmm. are, there are, are ways to fight the, evi- the uh, foreclosure and the resulting eviction, but nobody can guarantee that it won't ever happen. So look for, for anybody who asks for money up front and watch out for, um, you know, 100% guarantees from, from these potential scam artists. The legitimate versions of these are going to be generally nonprofits that are known and well-respected in the community. There are programs that they are putting forth in certain neighborhoods to protect home ownership. 
Um, so those agencies can be trusted, but they're not going to be asking for money up front. They're not going to be promising you that in 100% of cases, um, they can get the desired result. And then the other, um, the other type of service that can help you in this situation is an, att- an attorney. An attorney will sit down with you and go over what your options are in a very realistic way and help you make a better decision. But even they can't offer a hundred percent guarantee that you're going to keep your house. In real estate attorney, uh, real estate transactions, often don't buyers just use the bank's attorney to close. Uh, and if, and if you do that, you know, what are your, what's the limit of the protections that you have like that? Go ahead. So we're talking about title here and the kind of scams that we went over. There is no problem using the the bank's attorney for that purpose, that you are still going through um, a vetted channel that an attorney that will perform the title exam and issue title insurance. So those kind of the the problems I outlined as potential scams for cash buyers don't really apply if you're going through an attorney, including the bank's attorney. And similarly, the wire fraud, um, you know, if the money finds its way to the to that attorney, the bank's attorney, um, you've completed your part of the transaction um, and it's there. And those attorneys offices, by the way, they're protected um, in two ways. So if you sent money into um, a closing, they have malpractice insurance in case they messed up um, with the wire trans transaction. Mm -hmm. And if they are using a, a title underwriter, that title underwriter is also promising the lender of the transaction that the attorney won't take off with it and go on vacation um, and flee the country. So there are a couple ad- additional protections uh, regulating attorneys that um, that keep that money safe. But for that purpose, using your own individual attorney and using the bank's attorney um, isn't the the opportunity for, for a scam. Right. So everything we've talked about so far has been mostly on the buy sell side. Um, and, you know, before we wrap this up, what about rentals? You know, there's, there's gotta be a lot of scams happening out there, especially in a rental heavy market, like here in Boston with a lot of students moving in and out of housing. Rentals are a fertile ground for, for scams. Um, and it largely goes the, the prototypical rental scam is somebody posting a listing for rent regardless of whether they own it or have even been to the property and then convincing an unwitting tenant to put down money um, and sign a lease for it. You see this in short-term rentals as well, where somebody thinks that they were um, engaging with the owner of the property, but they were not. And these scams are pretty easy to do um, because it's easy to put up a listing in Craigslist um, or another websites and find, um, find a, a, an interested tenant who's willing to to put down money. Things to look out for that where this might be the case include uh, a listing rate that's too good to be true. So if the the rent is significantly under market, um, it's they're enticing you. They're, there's no real landlord there that's concerned about making money. They just want to get. Um, they just want you to put down money, any money, and and send it off to the scam artist. Um, as always, look out for international transfers. Most genuine landlords, even if they are based overseas, are going to have a bank account in the U.S. um, that they use to manage the property. So look out for um, direct international uh, transfers. Um, Look out for putting down money site unseen, um, especially if it's not to a legitimate real estate brokerage. Um, Mm -hmm. That's um, a typical 
red flag. And, you know, use common sense. If, um, you know, if you are an interested tenant who's looking to, to find an apartment um, in another part of the country where you can't conveniently go visit in advance, either use a professional real estate um, agent or use somebody you trust who's on the ground um, in that city to, to scope things out for you. Um, if you can't get access to the property at all, um, that's a red flag that um, there's something there. And if you really want to get more advanced, you can take a look at um, deed and assessor records to make to match the name of the person you're dealing with to the name of the um, actual owner of the property. Right. We could probably do a whole other episode about um, short-term rental scams because I could talk about that. But I will say, I will say a little bit from the owner side that you know scams are out there even on the big platforms. Like you know, with our rentals, we use Airbnb and Verbo or VRBO, whatever you want to call them. Um, I never post on Craigslist. Um, I rarely post on Facebook. I think early on, a couple like the first year I did it, we had a couple available weeks or weekends and I posted on there to friend groups, but, um, all of our bookings, if I don't know you directly, like if I don't know you like as a friend or family or, uh, like a referral from a neighbor, like I've definitely done some direct deals with people that, you know, live nearby and they have family coming. Everything I do is off of those two platforms. We did one trip advisor once, but I never get anything from those guys, but those two platforms are great because they vet the guests, uh, with a number of different protocols. Like they, they, you know, require ID and, and verification of age and, and that kind of stuff and bank information. Um, but with that said, I've never seen a scam knock wood through Airbnb, but I definitely get inquiries on VRBO, not infrequently, that are obvious scams. And it's it's easy to kind of pick them out uh, because of just the 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 random dates they always pick, um, the questions, which are usually like, is your property available? And you could probably figure that out from just looking at the calendar. Every so often, I, I get sucked into a little conversation with someone that turns into, oh, this is a scammer. So you just mark it as spam or, or whatever it is. Um, and I did learn with Verbo that you have to you have to respond, even if you're responding like just with a period or a word saying not available, and then respond. Because if you don't, I remember early on, it, it, it affected my rating, uh, when I was just marking them as spam. And I talked to somebody there and they said, well, it shows that you didn't respond. And I said, well, the three that it did, I didn't respond to, I marked them as spam. And they said, respond, like say something back, just show your metrics, show that you responded and then mark it as a scam. It's a little bit weird, but, uh, well, no, I mean, yeah, you, can, a- you can always figure it out. So there's a clear frustration based on that variety of scam that you see for owners. But think about this, you know, while those platforms may be able to control for scams on their platforms, what's to prevent somebody, a third party from uh, spoofing or cloning your listing, listing, taking the photos, taking your text, putting it into Craigslist, getting money from somebody and having somebody show up at the property expecting um, to move in or to stay in the, the home. You know, yeah. there's something you largely cannot control for and you'll have an upset person um, at the home um, and in a way you're a victim of that but mm-hmm. there's there's a there's a world out there that you can't control for either yeah absolutely yeah again a knock wood that hasn't happened yet but uh, I've heard that happens or again not infrequently you know technically I don't really have a responsibility to them and they're not getting inside because they don't have a code to get in but yeah you're right they're standing on our property and they're upset because you know they got taken 
Uh, so, you know, there's a lot out there. And I'm guessing that right now with the velocity with which real estate's moving, that these scams are, you know, becoming more and more common. Well, they continue to evolve. So the the advice I'm giving you this year about wire transfers may be outsmarted um, next year um, by some mm-hmm. innovative plan. So, you know, all the real estate professionals also need to um, keep up with it. Um, I've watched the attempted um, wire fraud scammers become more and more sophisticated with my own office. You know, it started off a few years ago um, in, you know, badly written written messages um, telling somebody that they I must wire money to their client, you know, internationally. And like, those are clearly spam, but it's become a little bit more and more sophisticated where now um, scammers will actually have, um, they will, you know, know vendors that you work with. They will spoof an email conversation between two people, say, at the bank, um, a fraudulent conversation between the two. And then, um, you know, there'll be a message to you saying, oh, see below, um, our wire information has changed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, please update your records accordingly. And it looks it's becoming much more and more uh, sophisticated and realistic looking. So if our standards were those of 2012 of what to look out for, um, for scams, it changes. Mm -hmm. And that goes, whether you're a real estate professional, if you're a buyer or a seller really need to keep up on things. And if there is a question, verify um, the Mm -hmm. information with, with the people that you do trust. So some parting thoughts, some final advice, you know, one big takeaway I have is, be on the lookout because scams are out there, but use a real estate attorney because that will give you some protection and they know what to look out for. Yes. And, you know, when you're interacting with your real estate attorney, um, you use the same red flags too. a real estate attorney um, who's making demands that seem funny to you. That also could be a, a, a bit of a red flag. So just keep out, just trust the people that you're working with. Um, make sure they are who they say they are. Um, and when in doubt, remember that you are only going to engage in a handful of real estate transactions in your life. So take the mm-hmm. time to do it correctly. Don't feel rushed. Don't feel pressured. Um, take every step correctly. Great. Well, all good advice. We'll have to update this in the future once cryptocurrency is basically you know, mm-hmm. the norm and there's no more cash bills going around. But uh, thanks once again. Uh, Rory Gill, where can we find you? I am at Next Home Title Town, nexthometitletownrealestate.com and Urban Village Legal urbanvillagelegal.com. And I look forward to hearing you there. Great. Well, this is the Real Estate Law Podcast. Once again, thank you so much for listening. My name is Jason Muth. This is attorney broker Rory Gill, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast, because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town. Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.